your mess. Your mess matters. And if it matters so much, then let's talk about it. Let's deal with it. But what exactly do I mean by your mess, as I shared today? By your mess, I mean your mess-ups and your mistakes. It's the thing you said to that person that caused a lot of pain and a lot of hurt, and it's kind of left a mess behind you. It's the thing that you did all those years ago, maybe, that you weren't proud about, and it's a messy situation. You've made a mess of relationships, a mess of hurt, a mess of pain, a mess of confusion. And just imagine going back to that person of your biggest mess or that place where that mess happened. What would you do? <laughs> what would you say? Would you be walking on eggshells wondering, oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing? Uh, maybe, maybe it's not even worth it to go back there and talk about it or deal with it at all. You know, I've made plenty of mistakes and mess is in my life. Uh, many mess ups that I have that have hurt many people. And of course, I'm not proud of them. Uh, but one of the biggest messes of my life that I have shared before, um, but is, again, it's a, it's a huge part of my story, is in high school, my junior and senior year, I dated a girl, and uh, she was a Mormon. And I was a Christian and, and follower of Jesus, although I was trying to learn exactly what that meant. And uh, she also was a Christian, so, to say, so she said. And, but we soon realized that our lives were not going in the same direction. And because of that, there was a lot of messy situations that occurred. And I don't know even the right words to share when I talk about that mess. Like, is, is this sermon being broadcast live around the world, is it even a time to talk about it, right? Like, what do you say? What kind of details do you use? And those are just a lot of the questions, a lot of the things that you think about as you think about your mess. So that's my mess. What's your mess? What mistakes have you made what things have you messed up? Because remember, I'm telling you that your mess, and yes, that mess that you are thinking about, that mess matters. It matters to you because it affects you. It matters to other people because it affects other people. And it matters to God because it also affects God. So if it matters, let's deal with it. Let's talk about it. But if you're like me, we don't like to do that, do we? We don't like to acknowledge that it's there. Sort of like this little mess that we left on the stage, because why not? And maybe if you're sitting in the back, you can't even see it. <laughs> but I didn't reference it. I didn't talk about it. In fact, Shannon and Vadim, because they were trying to be very helpful, they put it away. <laughs> which was great, but I didn't want them to do that because I was just leaving it there because one of the unhealthy and unhelpful things we do with our messes is we avoid it. We avoid it at all costs. We just don't acknowledge it. We just say, yeah, you know what? It happened, and now I'm moving on with my life. We totally forget about it. 
All the while, we still continue to have new situations arise in our life. And those new situations were just keep throwing things on the mess pile, you know? And we wonder, why can't I get this situation right? Why doesn't life work right? Why can't I figure this out? It doesn't seem to be working. All the while, we've forgotten that we're taking this mess with us everywhere that we go. We just avoid it as much as we can. But... I think there comes a point in our life that, you know what, we just realize we can't avoid it. And so what do we do about it? Well, we just get comfortable with it. Like, all right, you know, it's there. So let's just, let's embrace it. Let's just say, okay, like, let's walk into it. Let's just sit down and and enjoy it. Maybe, Uh, maybe we just want to think that that's the only thing that will ever be of my life. And we start labeling our life according to our mess. Or maybe we think that the mess is there because of our own beliefs. Like if we believed differently about the situations that caused the mess, then maybe the mess would just go away because maybe it wasn't a mess after all. Maybe it just was my way of perceiving it. Or maybe, and this is you, maybe it's you, maybe I've seen, maybe you've seen this too. I think people become not only comfortable, but almost addicted to their mess. Like they couldn't live their life without the mess in their life because they like the attention that it gives them. People ask them questions, how are you doing? How are you dealing with this thing? And you like that. Or maybe you just take it with you wherever you go, and that's like the label. That's how people know you, and you just have, again, become comfortable with your mess. Or maybe another unhealthy and unhelpful way that you deal with it is you just think that time is going to heal it. You say, yeah, you know, it happened all those years ago, and if I just give it some time, it'll all go away. But like Shannon and Vadim illustrated, I told you I was going to use you in an illustration in my message. Unless you actually physically do something with that, it's not going anywhere. And time is the exact same way. Time only, and this is, I think, an important word, it enhances what is already there. And so if it's staying there, if it's messy over time, it just will stay there and get messy and probably become messier. But if we deal with the mess in a good way over time, then we will deal with it well, and you can deal with the mess. And so, I think that you can deal with the mess in your life. And if you do, then you will experience health, experience power in your life. And so, uh, I want to talk a lot more about that. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn with me to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 12. 2 Samuel is in the Old Testament. It's in the first part of your Bible. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, the words will be on the screen behind me. And if you don't have a Bible or you would like a Bible, um, you can grab a free copy of a Bible in the lobby. We want to give that to you. So thank you again for being here, and we want to give that to you because we think it's important. 
And so in the book of 2 Samuel, we are going to meet a guy named David. And David is a pretty famous dude, famous guy in the Bible, but also famous just in history. And the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. But yes, David had a mess, a big mess. And see, the Bible isn't a book about perfect people, about how to live a perfect life, and about everything's perfect. The Bible is about real people like you and like me, and they all in the Bible have a mess, except for one, of course, Jesus, and we'll talk about him later, because if there's only one, it's probably pretty important, and I think he's really, really important. And so the Bible isn't a book about perfect people, and we're going to talk about David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. It says, the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to David to tell him this story. And in just a minute, we will get to the story. It's a cliffhanger. Because the story is so important. The story is life-changing. It changed David's life, and I think it can change your life. But you have to learn a little bit more about David's story in order for Nathan's story to make a big impact for you. And so David was the son of Jesse. He was the youngest son, which is really interesting because Samuel the prophet came to Jesse and said, hey, the next king of Israel is from your family. And so Jesse brought out all of his sons and lined them up. And Samuel looked at them and he said, no, 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 no. Do you have any more sons? Like, did you forget a son? And Jesse said, yes, I did. He's the youngest son. He's taking care of the sheep, you know, that guy. And Samuel says, bring him to me. And of course, that was David. And a little while later in David's life, he is known for killing the big, mean, giant Goliath with just a sling and a stone. Nobody else wanted to fight this giant But David, trusting in his God, said, no one's going to defy my God. I'm going to kill him in God's power. And David did. And everybody celebrated David and loved David and sang songs about David. And, well, I think that made the King Saul pretty mad and pretty mentally unstable. And one of the things that helped Saul feel better was music. And one of the things that David did when out in the field taking care of the sheep was play the harp and play music. And so they called David in and said, hey, play music for the king and help him feel better. And so they did. And of course, being in the same room with the guy who's going to take your job one day is probably not a good idea. And Saul tried to kill David many times and David ran away and spent years in the caves and all that stuff. So one day, Saul did die, as most people do, (laughs) and David became king. And David led the nation into a very prosperous, amazing time, and Israel was strong and powerful, and they were winning battles, and things were going really, really well. And then we read that when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab, the Israelite army, to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, this might not seem like a big deal to you, but for David, this was a mistake. And this mistake led 
to a big, big mess. See, David wasn't where he was supposed to be. Kings were supposed to go out into war during this time, and David said, no, that's not what I'm doing. And so what did David do? Well, he had a little extra free time on his hands, so he went out onto his roof, and he looked around at his kingdom, and oh, he saw a beautiful woman, and she was taking a bath, and he wanted her. And so he used his kingly resources and said, that one over there, bring her to me. And so, of course, you listen to what the king says, and they brought this woman whose name is Bathsheba to David, and uh, they had sex, and David sent her on her way. And little did David know that a few, I don't know, however long later, Bathsheba calls David up and says, I'm pregnant. Messy. Because maybe you could avoid the sex, you could, you could not talk about it, maybe you're comfortable with it, but you can't avoid a baby. The baby is, is coming. So, David, although he might have tried to do all that stuff, you couldn't avoid the baby. And so he tries to cover it up. How does David cover it up? He invites his Bathsheba's husband to come home from battle, Uriah. And he came to come home and David thought, okay, you haven't been home for a while, so you've been missing your wife, haven't you? And so you should go with her, you know, like go spend some time, quality time with her. But David, I guess he should have known, Uriah was one of David's closest friends, his partners, his mighty men and the warriors. And Uriah was too good to go and do that. Uriah said, I'm staying with you because this is battle time. <laughs> David's like, oh, no. He tried to, you know, make it all kind of disappear, and it wasn't happening. And so what did David do? He said, well, stay another day. And the next day, I will throw you a nice meal and give you some nice wine and get you a little drunk or maybe a lot drunk so that your decision-making is a little impaired and you can go home <laughs> even though you don't want to and, you know, cover up the baby. Of course, Uriah, again, did not participate in that. And so, David, he sent Uriah back into battle to the front lines, as you might know the story. And he told the commander of the army, at the time when the enemy attacks and Uriah's in the front lines, pull back and let him die. And sure enough, they listened to the king. And that's exactly what happened. Bathsheba heard the news. She was upset. She was very sad. She called David, and David called her, and they, she came over to the palace, and they got married, and she became one of, yes, this is correct, one of David's wives, and that is the story. And so we read in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, that the Lord was displeased with what David had done. See, God sees your mess, and he doesn't like it. It hurts people. It hurts ourselves, and it hurts our relationship with God. But it's always there, and it gets in the way of everything. And so many people, and maybe some of you, are in this place today. Your mess may look a little different than David's mess, or maybe it's similar in some ways. 
and you just feel like God is displeased with you. You wish you could avoid it. You wish you could cover it up. Maybe you've gotten comfortable with it. Maybe you just think over time it'll heal, but you just feel like God is displeased with you. So what comes next for David changed David's life. It was a life-changing moment. And if you feel like God is displeased with you, I think that David's story can be a life-changing moment for you as well. So don't miss it. So the Lord sent Nathan the prophet to tell David this story. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, and the poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had brought. He raised the little lamb, and it grew with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. Oh. And one day, a guest arrived at the house of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it and prepared it for his guest. David was furious. As surely as the Lord lives, he vowed any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. He must repay four lambs to that poor man for what the one he stole when having no pity Sounds pretty reasonable, right? And Nathan said to David, you are that man. And for some of you, I hope this message today is that wake-up call. Like, you are that man, or you are that woman. Maybe you've been avoiding the mess, covering up, getting comfortable with it, but now you realize, you know what, it's there and I need to deal with it. That's what God's saying. He's saying, I see it. I know it's there. So what do you do? Well, what did David do? David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. See, once you realize that your mess matters, now you have to label your mess for what it is. Sin. And sin is anything that falls short of God's perfect standard. Anything you think, say, or do that doesn't live up to that perfect standard. You fall short. It affects your relationship with yourself, the way you see yourself. Sin affects your relationship with other people. And because your sin affects and hurts other people whom God loves, God doesn't like that. And so your sin also affects God. And David knew this, and he confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And this is exactly the idea of labeling your mess for what it is. That's confession. It's agreeing with God, saying the same thing as God says, that yes, you know what? That mess, it's sin. And so your mess, my mess, our mess, it matters. We need to see it for what it is. And here's the amazing truth that you have to always realize. 
is that God always, always, always forgives. Doesn't he? He forgives. He forgave David. And so, David, the musician, he wrote a song. And that song is recorded in Psalm 51. And now, it's really interesting, the psalm is labeled like this time, this song is regarding the time Nathan the prophet came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And how many of you know, like the best songs, the best singers, they, they sing from a real place, like maybe a place of hurt, a place of pain, but they, they're not just singing words. They're, they're singing the song because they feel they experience the song. And that's what David did. He wrote this song to sing from that place from that mess. And so this is what David sings. He says, or sings, I won't sing it for you. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels and they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. See, David's mess don't miss this. David's mess became his message. And you might not be a songwriter, but I believe that your mess can become your message. And so I want to examine what David's message in this song was. What is his message to you? What is his message to me? What is his message to the world? He says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. His message is, I may have lost that joy, but a relationship with God is important, and I know I can find true joy there in a relationship with God. David sings, make me willing to obey you. <laughs> like, like, God, I need to obey you because I know that if I don't, my life is going to turn out a mess. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. See, David realized that he had a message to share. He feels it. He's living it. And he says, I'm going to share it with other people. And when he does that, he knows and believes that they will return to you. David knows that his message will be heard by people and people will turn to God. David says, forgive me for shedding blood, O God, who saves. See, God, people need to know that God forgives and that God saves people, people that need saving. That's what God does. David says, I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. See, everyone needs to know, everyone needs to hear that God forgives. He forgave David and David sharing that with the world. The God of the universe, the perfect God forgave David and he will forgive you. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. See, David knew, he believed that his mess had become his message. So I think the same is for you. But I want to end on one more story. One more story in the New Testament. I want to bring us to a story that Jesus told. 
because I think it illustrates this principle of your mess becoming your message so perfectly. And that story can be found in Matthew chapter 18. So if you want to turn there with me, again, the words will be on the giant screen behind me. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18. The story goes like this. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. Of course, he couldn't pay. So the master ordered that his debt be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. So do you think this man found himself in a pretty big mess? Yes. (laughs) He had lots of debt. He made, I'm sure, many bad decisions that brought him to that place. And he could do nothing about it. And see, this man, as we'll see in a second, we always want grace for ourselves. Like, no matter how big a hole you dig, no matter how big of a mess up you make, we think for ourselves, okay, like, I deserve a second chance, right? I mean, everyone gets a second chance. We want grace for ourselves. And so the man, he fell down before his master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. So he's asking for that second chance. And he acknowledges the mess. He confesses it. He knows that it's not right. And so the master was filled with pity for him. And he released him and forgave his debt. This story illustrates the way God works with us. And so God, illustra- or God forgives his debt. God forgives you. God promises to forgive And then, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars. A little less than a few million, right? But still a lot. A few thousand. He grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. So your mess, his mess, affected him. Your mess affects you. And your mess becomes your message. Watch. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged him for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. So remember, we're so fast to think that we deserve grace, that we deserve second chance, that no matter how big a mess we've made, no matter how big a hole we've dug, that there's always a chance. There's always a second chance. We want grace. We want grace. We want grace. And the moment we have an opportunity to give that to somebody else, it's like, no. We just, we just write people off and say, what you've done is too big of a mistake, and I could never forgive that. That never deserves a second chance. We are so fast to want it for ourselves, and yet we turn around and don't give anything of grace to any other people. 
And I think it's because we really want to do, or we say we really want to do what's best for others, but really, if we're honest with ourselves, we really want to do what's best for us. And giving somebody a second chance if they've really hurt you, that doesn't feel good to you, to me. And so that's what this man did. And his creditors couldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put him in prison until his debt could be paid in full. So when the other servants saw this, they were very upset. Obviously, right? I'm upset reading the story. And they went to the king and told him everything that had happened. The king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Like this other servant said the exact same thing in the exact same situation as him previously. And then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. Jesus says this words. And that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. So, your mess matters. It affects you. It affects other people. It affects your relationship with God. So, let's acknowledge it. It's there. Let's confess it. Label it for what it is. And now, trust God to forgive it. He promises to forgive it. Every single person in the Bible, in all of human history, has a mess. Except for one. And that one, Jesus Christ, who was God, who came to this earth and lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross so that he could take your mess upon himself. Because he didn't have any. He took it upon himself and he gave you and he gives the world when you put your faith and trust in him, his perfection. And that's what we mean when we say and when you believe that Jesus died for me. Like he did. He died in your place. He died as you. He paid the penalty for your sin. He paid for your mess and he gives you his righteousness, his perfection. He forgives you of your sins so that you can have a right relationship with God. See, your mess matters. And God knew that and cared about it so much that he came to this place, to this earth to deal with it to forgive it, and to give you life. And so I believe God's brought you here for this purpose and this right now to just embrace that. And maybe for the first time or the first time in a long time, say, God, I believe that. Like, I trust that, and I I need you as my Savior. I need you to forgive me. I need you to do something about my mess. And because God promises that he will. And so if you are doing that, I just encourage you to to just pray to God something like, God, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. I know I've messed up. But God, you've died for me. You paid for my sin. And you've rose again to give me life. And I'm trusting in you. Just pray something like that. And and if you you want to, I encourage you to write it on a connection card or or talk to me afterwards or send us a message, an email, because we would love to follow up with you, to pray for you, to help you in any way that we can. Because that's such a big thing. Like 
you don't have to live your life with a mess you don't know how to deal with, that you get frustrated about how do I figure this out? How do I live life with this situation? You don't have to live that way. So, followers of Jesus, God has forgiven you. The God of the universe has forgiven you. So, do you believe it? And do you live like it? Because your mess really is your message. And I pray and I hope that your message is a message of forgiveness, a message of hope, a message of joy, and a message of peace. And this message, as David sang about, it will go out and ring out to the world around you. And people will hear it from your life. And they will turn to God, I believe, as a result of it. And so, your mess is your message. What message are you sending the world? Let me pray as we close. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that you promised to forgive. Lord, I stand up here today sharing just a little of, of a mess that I've made. And the purpose isn't necessarily to all do that together. But Lord, in this time right now, as we think about the mess that we've made, the mistakes that we've made, Lord, I pray that we just feel that your presence is here with us, that you love us, and that you have promised to forgive us. And so God, if we forget that, if we aren't sure about it, may we just remember and look always to the cross because we know for certain, for fact, a historical point in time when you took our sin upon yourself and you died for it because you loved us. You were buried and you rose again and saying to anyone, if you place your faith and trust in me that you can be forgiven, your mess can be paid for, it can be gone. And so, Lord, I just pray that we would really feel that, that you would confirm that in our hearts, that we are forgiven, that you do love us. And, Lord, you might be displeased when we disobey you, when we sin, because you're, you're hurt that we would choose something different or someone different. But, Lord, help us to know that you love us so much, that you are pleased with us because of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, in these times, may we turn around and give that same grace, that same forgiveness, that same love and care to everyone that we meet. Lord, help us to give a message of hope and help our mess truly be a message that turns people to you, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.